Hello, hello, and welcome back to the P2P Soapbox for our final episode of season one. I'm your host and P2P BFF, Marcy Maxwell, and I'm so honored to be wrapping up our inaugural season with an outstanding guest. But before I introduce you, allow me just a moment for a few quick housekeeping items. First and foremost, I'm excited to let you know that registration for our 2024 Peer-to-Peer Professional Forum Conference is officially open. P2P Forum 24 is heading to Philadelphia, February 21st through the 23rd. We have been so inspired by Philly's great public art scene that we are bringing it to life through our conference theme, The Art of Peer-to-Peer. So content will be focused on storytelling, relationship building, collaboration, innovation, event experience, and so much more. You can register now at peertopeerforum.com to take advantage of our early bird prices. And secondly, yes, it's true. We have come to the final episode of our first season of the P2P Soapbox. I am just so grateful to all of the guests who joined us over the past few months and for all of you who have tuned in every other week. Season two will be back in January, which will be here before we know it. So now on to today's episode. I have been thinking a lot about the importance of volunteer leadership. Those of us who have been around the world of in-person peer-to-peer events know the significance of having a highly engaged, goal-oriented volunteer committee. They help us recruit teams, build connections with sponsors, and assist with day of logistics. But what about the ever-growing world of digital-first peer-to-peer campaigns? For many of these programs, the idea of empowering volunteer leadership is often overlooked. We tend to view these fundraisers as independent, do-it-yourself initiatives with a limited connection among them. So what would happen if we applied our best practices for working with our local volunteer leaders to these digital-first campaigns? Just imagine how local ambassadors could not only extend the campaign's reach, but also make it feel more authentic, foster a sense of community, and really strengthen the overall impact for our mission. And I have the perfect guest to help us dive into this idea. I am so delighted to welcome Brittany Veneris, the U.S. Director of Fundraising for Movember one of the P2P industry's most unique fundraisers, and what I would consider one of the first large-scale digital-first campaigns. I'll let Brittany share the full origin story. But in summary, if you're not familiar with Movember, it started with the simple idea of a mustache-growing contest, and it has grown into a global men's health movement, raising more than $1 billion, billion with a B, in the past 20 years, and taking on three of the biggest health issues affecting men, mental health and suicide, prostate cancer, and testicular cancer. And Movember also happens to be a member of both the U.S. and Canadian 2022 peer-to-peer top 30 lists. So on today's episode, we'll discuss how Movember has built a global network of community ambassadors to drive its annual peer-to-peer fundraising campaign, which we happen to be in the middle of right now, and how Brittany's small but mighty team sets goals and expectations with their volunteer fundraisers. We'll dive into how Movember strikes a balance between its fun marketing persona with its very serious mission and its unique messaging strategies to engage male fundraisers. Now let's get to the good stuff. Here's my conversation with Movember's Brittany Veneris. 
Brittany, so glad you're here. Welcome to the P2P Soapbox. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And what a perfect time for you to be joining us since we're we're recording this the very beginning of November, otherwise known as November. So excited exactly. to to talk to you about all the great work that you do. But before we jump into that, let's just start. Yeah. I always like to start with just tell us a little bit about your personal and professional journey that led you to this role that you're in at November. Yeah, so I've actually been in the nonprofit space for about 15 years now, started my nonprofit journey at the Muscular Dystrophy Association, really around event fundraising, the mere standard traditional nonprofit fundraising um, programs, and then grew into the business development role there, where I really you know, was ex- responsible for getting new accounts on for retail activations. Uh, and then had the opportunity to move into a role at the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network around their corporate and community partnerships, uh, really driving sponsorships and team engagement for their signature event, Purple Stride. Uh, spent about five years there where I had a, a different role at the end, uh, focused on corporate partnerships outside of signature events. And then uh, was recruited to join the Movember team uh, about four and a half years ago now where I started as the director of community development, uh, really focused around how we're doing all non-workplace, actually, which was a very big shift for me, but exciting um, engagement in their signature peer-to-peer program and driving engagement outside of the signature campaign too. So how are we actually talking to the community and engaging with the community year round to really make the signature Movember time even more impactful? And then last year, transitioned into taking over the entire fundraising team for the U.S., so responsible for all areas of revenue generation and community engagement and operations. And so it's been a very, very exciting um, journey there. And nice because I do have a personal connection to the cause, too. My brother is a suicide survivor and my dad is a prostate cancer survivor. So when the mission hits home, it makes it be that much you know, more enticing as well as more impactful for me as a personal individual, but also a staff member at November. Well, I know, so that I want to hear about that more about, yeah. tell me more about so November. You know, we know that this is the biggest campaign of the year and it kind of grew out of mustaches, right? Yes. Growing it out. But I think sometimes uh-huh. not everybody knows all of the mission work that November yeah. does. Can So for those that aren't familiar, can you just share a little bit more about how the program came to be, how it's evolved, and and the services that y'all support. Yeah. So we started actually 20 years ago. This is our 20th anniversary, so we're very, very excited about that in Australia. Uh, and it really was started by a few friends who were having a skate session um, at the park and just around the community, went to a bar for a few beers to catch up, saw that everything was pink. And it was in October, and they are like, you know, this is so amazing what has been done for breast cancer and women's health. Um, And it kind of actually triggered in their mind, nothing's being done for men's health. And so what can we do? And as they continued on the conversation, they said, well, we want to do something really fun at the same time. So uh, they decided, why not just grow up mustaches and people can pay us and see how long we can go. It lasted a month. Um, and they raised over $30,000 and said, wait a second, I think we're onto something Love it. from there, grew it. And over to date, we've funded, uh, we've 
raised over $1 million or billion, excuse me, that's what the B, billion, um, a billion B. dollars <laughs> uh, in the month of November in the past 20 years and have funded over 1,300 global projects uh, focused around mental health and suicide prevention, prostate cancer, and testicular cancer. So we do everything from biomed research to uh, clinical trials, as well as um, community-based programs that help men and boys um, with mental health and building community. But then also we have the digital health tools that we've brought to life that can help not only men, but the communities of men. Because we know at the end of the day, we're really striving to have healthier men, which equals healthier societies. Absolutely. So how did that go from one, you know, one group of guys in the skate park and the bar raising their 30,000, which is amazing, how has that grown? What does the program look like today and how it raises money? So we go way beyond the mustache. Uh, the mustache is king is what we like to say. It'll always be our bread and butter, our pride and joy. But we really looked at, okay, people, not everyone can grow facial hair and how are we more inclusive? And so with that, we added additional fundraising products to our uh, portfolio. And so you can also take the November challenge, the move challenge, which is to run or walk 60 miles in the month of November. And that 60 represents the 60 men we lose to suicide every hour of every day globally. You can also host an event for November. Uh, we have a lot of people who host a variety of different type of events from karaoke and trivia all the way down to they'll go all out for a Sunday fun day football thing and do a big gala. Uh, and then lastly, we have what we launched a couple of years ago, which is mow your own way. And that's essentially a do it yourself. Uh, we have had someone do break the world record for naked skydives. And we've had people <laughs> drive across the country. We go approve that. I'm sorry. <laughs> they really did. That is um, a different, that is a different beast of an organization that will approve it. I love it. We do. And I think that's a big part of why we've been successful is because we're willing to take the risks. Um, and risks well, having fun, doing good. That's kind of been our mantra, but we also um, want to go where men are and speak what men do and hear from them. And that's what we really base our community and mission off of is we're not telling men what they need. They're telling us and we're helping provide that. And that's really kind of came down to, we had to think differently uh, and we had to go off of what will really help the men and the communities that they surround themselves in. So you told me that the kind of theme of the campaign for this year yeah. is the mustache is calling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> tell me a little bit about how y'all are, how you do that. You strike the fun and the serious, because obviously you're dealing with very serious mission issues, right? Um, but you do it in a very fun way. So tell us a little bit about, about that. Yeah, we thought for 20 years, it would be fun to kind of go back to our roots of the mustache, not losing sight of anything else. So you'll notice throughout the campaign creative, we have woven in uh, all the other things. So the move challenge, hosting, mow your own way. Uh, but we also integrated the community, the doctors, the patients, the family members, the friends, the men themselves, all ages, all genders, all races. Um, and we really made it come together in a way that anyone and everyone can do it. So when we say the mustache is calling, we're thinking about that as the mustache as our billboard. So we're very lucky in that every year we have hundreds of thousands of men walking around this world with a 
walking billboard on their face. Uh, and so why not have that be the center frame of our 20th anniversary, but also building out on how that builds the community um, of the men and Movember and everyone that we're, you know, really working to change the lives for. I think when I first got introduced to Movember, I think one of the things I have always found that's so interesting, I feel like it was one of the first major campaigns that started off solely digital, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. It was one of those, there, there wasn't necessarily a walk or a cycling event or even, you know, a, a, a social streaming. I mean, it was all DIY, you know, what we like to call mm -hmm. that. But it seems like you've built a really strong community, even though the vast majority of the connection, it seems to me as an outsider, is yeah. online. So how are you building that community both online? How are you bringing it to life in person? Like, what does that look like? So the community is the heart of everything we do and why we've been digital the whole time. Um, we wanted to reach masses in a much grander scale. And we knew the only way we could do that was through digital. So we started that way from the very beginning. And when we look at that and we think about how we're not only building that, so we're building a global movement, but we're also building local impact in communities around the globe. So we've made it a very conscious effort to leverage what we refer to as our community ambassadors and our student ambassadors, while also building a digital connection at the same time. So we have, for example, in the U.S., we have 27 community ambassadors based in local key markets throughout the U.S. They work together. They connect with the local community on their ground. Um, and then they also have things around building connections. If there's a student university um, ambassador in the uh, in the city as well. And um, what we then did, too, is how do we add the digital component to that. And so a couple years ago, we actually launched uh, a revised Movember app. Uh, and what we're known for actually, too, is we do everything ourselves. So we, uh, well, as much as there's so many amazing platforms and things out there, too, we've built our own peer-to-peer -peer platform and app uh, really to make sure that we can design and build the community how we intend to and what the community needs. And so between being able to leverage the community and student ambassadors and the digital aspect. So an example being we added what is very considerable to the similar Facebook wall that you used to have. We integrated that into our app. So when you go on as a community member, sign up for Movember.com, download our app. You can also see all the people in your local area who are also doing Movember, connect with them, build that. So if that's they want to go for a two-mile run together because they're both doing the Move Challenge, they just made new um, friends that also participate in Movember. So we're really doing it from a digital and in-person side because, yes, we live in a digital world. Yes, it, that's so important to building a larger community globally, but we can't lose track and sight of what's in your own backyard. And so we kind of have found that sweet spot in the middle that allowed us to do both. Yeah, I think that's been something a lot of us have been talking about. We always talk about building community, but I think so often that is building community between the nonprofit and the donor, yes. not building community amongst the donors. Correct. And that's what I hear is, you know, because it just then strengthens not only their connection Mm -hmm. to each other, which is great. But then, yeah. then they associate those people with this great cause that they all share in common that they want to work toward. And it's a lot harder to 
walk away, frankly, from, Mm -hmm. you know, a cause that you support or a fundraiser that you do every year when you've got this amazing group of people that you've gotten to know. And they're like, all right, what are we doing when November, you know, rolls around this year? Exactly. Kind of hold you accountable because your staffing model is very different. Y'all don't have staff in every single market either. No, we only have staff in headquarter office or a major city. So in example, in the US, we only have in LA and uh, New York. And so there's only three people in New York too. So Matt is our second large city um, in terms of revenue generation and participation, as probably most of us are. But uh, it's it's a very different model. So we don't have the bandwidth and everything to be in every market, every city. So how do we do that? We have to leverage the community ambassadors to be an extension of staff. But we bring our community ambassadors to along the way in our planning, our goal setting. Uh, we really integrate them into because we also want to make sure that their experience with us being an external person facing in uh, can also help us grow and not and not just make assumptions, actually go off of data needs and direct voices from the community. I think that's a really key topic that you know we can we can dive into now, or we need to continue <laughs> to dive in as a community. Is you know what what does the role of volunteerism look like now post pandemic? You know, what is different? I think what people are looking for with this next generation of volunteers is looking for is different. How we think about driving growth, you know, it's with our volunteers. You know, I I think about so often at nonprofits, we want to say, oh, whatever you can do to help us would be great. We're just so Mm -hmm. grateful for your support. And while that is true. We also are businesses that have budgets to reach. And so how do you, can you give me some more examples of how you work with those volunteers? Like if you've got a a large fundraising goal, you know, to grow by X percent or X number of new participants, how do you message that to your volunteers and get them on board with helping you reach those business goals? For, yeah, for both of our community and student ambassador programs, We actually have an application process uh, and we also set goals with them. So there are expectations financially as well as um, engagement that they have to participate in and agree to in order to be continue to be a community or student ambassador. And most people are like, well, what would be the point then? Why would they do that? Uh, we, we think to them, what do they need? Um, and we hear from them, you know, I want to have a larger voice in my local community project that, you know, Movember my fund, how, what does that look like all the way to how are we providing mental health resources for them? Uh, and so we'll put them through trainings that they normally would have to pay for or want to have access to. And we provide that access and we provide that training. And for our students, it really has become a way that we can help them get ready for the next big phase in their lives of entering the employment world. So whether that be letters of recommendation, connecting with internships, we do a lot of additional things uh, that helps, again, build them as an individuals, but also representation of our communities. But we also bring, we just have to bring them along in the journey and we have to set expectations just like we do with staff. We bring them along in that and we take their, we don't just listen to their feedback. We really implement their feedback. Um, You know, a lot of them have wanted to say like, I want you guys to change the app and do this. 
we've put them in direct contact with our tech team that builds out the app and say, have them go through real life user journeys and understanding and have them be a part of it. When we rolled out this campaign creative, every single one of our community ambassadors had the opportunity to be a voice in what that looks like and will it resonate. So we don't, we, they are an extension of staff. Um, and we also really make sure it's a partnership, not just a volunteer opportunity. What are some of those expectations? So you said it's not just financial. No, so for our community ambassadors, they're all expected to raise at least $3,000 um, in throughout the year. So they can choose what they do that. Obviously, most of them choose to do it in November and grow a mustache or take one of our other challenges. Um, they're also responsible for attending community events. So if there's a local event going on in Seattle, you better bet Travis is there and is representing Movember and speaking at it uh, to really represent what we're doing and sharing the impact. And then the other side of it too, is to give active and live feedback to us. So it's a two-way street that we want them to feel that they can come to us. And so we kind of put that expectation now, for students, we obviously don't expect the same level of fundraising given resources and access and they're in school. So theirs is a little bit lower at $300, but then they're responsible for putting on two events um, that could be awareness or revenue generating. It's up to them. And we ask them to participate outside of campaign as well uh, in April uh, around testicular cancer awareness month. And we do that mainly for the student ambassadors because we know that testicular cancer is the most common cancer among boys and men ages 15 to 34. So that's right in that age group. And so our biggest thing is how are we spreading awareness around the signs, symptoms, and needs for early detection with testicular cancer? And we leverage our student ambassadors to do that. Yeah, we always hear when we talk about peer-to-peer fundraising, it's often, it's very women focused a lot Mm -hmm. of times. So having worked at a couple of different organizations, What do you see that's different in terms of how men fundraise, whether it's the messages that you push out, the messages that they push out? What's different? We, I was not not more shocked, (laughs) came to November and saw the messages that they pushed out. I came from very buttoned up organizations before, pretty traditional, uh, where, you know, we said this amount of dollars goes to fund this impact and you use very critical things there. And while we do do that at Movember, we change how we talk to make it very conversational. And we do that with the intention that we know men have a harder time opening up. And so if you make it easier for them to do so, they'll then run with it. They'll take charge. We also don't put as many restrictions on. And that has helped us engage with men on a different level to feel integrated into our mission and our movement and wanting to take action. Whereas with women, when they're connected to the mission, especially, they'll just go uh, go and do it. You know, they follow the thing, they go and do it, they make the asks, they have no problem with it. Men, it takes a little bit more effort to. And so we took, how is this really fun? What is the easy, basic communication that we can give while making it engaging and feeling comfortable to participate? And that was the biggest shift that we did in really opening up. And then they started to say, well, you know what's also unique? Men can grow mustaches. Um, And so they felt that was a unique thing they could do, but they also had the options to engage their community. Um, I think back to a team that we have in New York. Uh, They're called Team Macho Macho. It started with a couple friends right outside of college. They did it because they thought growing a mustache in college was fun and cool. 
they raised a couple hundred dollars and then they really got integrated into the mission and didn't feel like they were being talked at, but rather t- spoken with and integrated into the conversation. And we just said, what is your why? Why do you do this? And it started with like, I just like to do it with my buddies. We'll break that down a little bit further. Um, what does that mean to do that with your buddies? It builds community. It builds connection. They then, since they started participating, have grown year by year with the amount of people on their team, but they also changed it. And they are now going from a couple hundred dollars to $175,000. And these are just friends from college buddies that have grown into living in all of New York. And they do this and they all do different types of ways to participate. Some of them grow mustaches. Some of them take the move challenge. Um, But on top of that, they started having conversations themselves. I was just on their kickoff call last night for their team. And they were going around and shared what is your connection? What is your why? And so what we started the conversation with them back in, you know, 10 years ago, they now do that exact conversation with every person that comes on their team. And then they also know each other's connection. But through it all, they were laughing, they were joking, they were having that thing, they didn't remove the fun out of it. And I think that has been the biggest shift of what I've seen is we change the way we talk based on our, our, our audience, but we also give them the chance to share that community and their why. Um, and that fun was integrated to it as well, which has helped us retain a larger male dominant supporter network, um, while also providing the room for their communities uh, to participate too. And I think that that's really kind of where we shifted a bit was we weren't so traditional with our language. We we made it fun. I mean, we even sent unique headlines just to really get their attention to open the email or open the text or respond. Um, and we let we started leaning into the community stories. Um, to tell the Movember story and that helped them stay more integrated too. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm i fascinated by it, you know, because <laughs> I do think, you know, I remember having a fundraiser one time tell me how vulnerable she felt when she started fundraising. Because she said, mm-hmm. you know, what if I put my story out there and nobody responds? Yeah. Like, what if I send out these emails and, you know, it, it, she was very nervous about it. And I, I think sometimes we... We overlook that like as as professional fundraisers, we're like, oh, just ask and somebody will give. But there could be some anxiety with that. And so I think um, and, you know, again, not to be stereotypical, but we often know men have a harder, you know, a lot of men have a harder time being vulnerable than women. And so I think it makes a lot of sense how you're, you know, working to connect and even the role of these ambassadors even more important because not only are they leading and and raising money, but hopefully they're modeling the way for kind of all the other people who are participating. Absolutely. And one thing we know from, you know, the years of doing that, and it's very similar across many peer-to-peer programs, is we know when someone is on a team, not just participating as an individual, they are much more likely to fundraise and come back year over year. And so one of the strategies that we shifted in the last couple of years was having our community ambassadors connect with all those individuals not on teams and saying, join my team, help me, you know, help be a part of this, be a part of our community, do these things. Um, And that shifted a lot of the dynamic of not only our retention and active rates, all the things you want to see grow up, but really the experience from that user and how they kind of went from saying like, 
I care about the mission to I feel engaged in the community. And that itself shifted so much and really also delivered our impact. Because at the end of the day, we're trying to build greater communities for men and with men and also provide the opportunity for them to connect and change behaviors feel that they can open up, do these things, start the conversation, spot the signs, all the things that we preach in our mission is happening throughout our key moment and driven by our community ambassadors. That's so great. In some ways, it seems like the structure of your program, you were, I don't want to say prepared for the pandemic, (laughs) because none of us could have been prepared for this. But how did the program, how did y'all navigate? Um, Did y'all have to make any changes? What did y'all learn? Kind of, working with your fundraisers during that, you know, time of no in-person events and a lot of um, time spent at home and away from friends and community. Yeah. So we were very lucky in the sense that we were 100% digital to begin. Uh, So when the pandemic hit, we didn't have to necessarily switch like many others do to say like, okay, how are we going to switch from this day experience to that? We already had that set. But what we didn't have set was how, okay, we give them the tools and resources to do everything digitally, but how are we actually making sure that the mission is still front and center, that people are okay, that people feel comfortable asking? And that was our biggest shift. And so what we actually did when the pandemic hit we had been planning to put out a digital health platform called November Conversations, which helps you as a human connect better and have more effective conversations with men um, and have the right conversations. And so we had planned to roll that out in our along with our annual campaign, but we actually pushed, stopped everything we were doing, pushed out the resources to deliver it earlier so we could be giving our supporters and the men of the supporters um, better health tools to have in, to navigate the times during the pandemic. So by the time our campaign came around, we were able to utilize those tools from making November conversations into our campaign as well. And said, while you're asking for donations and doing these things here, are also some additional tools you could be sharing that help people have greater conversations. And what we really shifted to do was lead with conversations know that the engagement will follow and continue to practice what we preach. So we had a major shift in that side. And we also had a major shift in our workplace fundraising. Obviously, we used to have massive, massive, massive in-office, you know, employee engagement things. So we really had to shift our tactics to say, how can you maximize the most at home? And so I'll still never forget that at Cox Communications, one of our big corporate accounts, they were, we switched to say, how do we do dares for donation virtually? And um, what they did was they had got all their executives to say whatever floor raised the most amount of money, the um, losing floor had to uh, open up their fridge of the executive and everyone can judge what's in your fridge kind of as a joke. And so we played on those things that what are you doing at home? How can you make it there? And we really had to shift our workplace stuff. But, you know, we really continued to lean into our mission, community building, conversation building. I love that. Well, like I said, I've always been so impressed with November. (laughs) It grew out of something that seemed so silly, right? At the start into something that is so mission focused and mission driven. And Mm -hmm. I I find that really impressive. And I imagine there's people that might be listening. um, And if it is still the month of November, the month of November, and they are thinking, how can I get involved with an organization like this? How can I get my my spouse, my boyfriend, my son, whatever that is, where can we send them? Yeah, 
our number one spot is our website, Movember.com. Uh, we have everything from how to get involved to all, you can access all of our digital health tools and also see whatever community-based programs are in your area. But then the other side too, check out our socials. So Instagram, we have a very fun Instagram page. We try to really keep it light and fluffy, but also messaging through the serious tone of our nature of our mission. Um, and that's just all, all of our handles are at Movember. Awesome. Well, Brittany, thank you so much. This is our last episode of season one. Uh, and I can't imagine closing it out with somebody else. Um, Thanks so, so, so much. grateful for you joining us today. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And it's been a pleasure and we look forward to continuing to support and do whatever we can to make sure the peer-to-peer audience continues to grow and impacts made across all cause areas. Absolutely. Happy Movember, November. Thank you so much. The P2P Soapbox is produced in partnership with True Story FM, engineering by Pete Wright. Music this week is by Balloon Planet. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, we hope you'll consider doing just that for our show. But the best thing that you can do to support the P2P Soapbox is simply to share the show with a friend or colleague. Thank you for listening.